Good morning from the Financial Times. Today is Monday, March 6th, and this is your FT News Briefing. China's National People's Congress is underway. We'll look at the key announcements so far. And Israelis are taking to the streets in the biggest protest the country's seen in years. The range of, of people involved is not just left-wingers, you know, it's former security chiefs, it's reservists from elite army units, it's former central bank chiefs. Plus, U.S. President Joe Biden is set to deliver his first presidential veto. I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. China's struggling telecoms giant Huawei is trying to make a comeback In Malaysia, Kuala Lumpur has a new government and ordered a review of the previous administration's plans to build a 5G network. The contract was awarded to the Swedish company Ericsson. With the review now underway, Huawei's jumped in to secure some of the work. The Chinese telecom company has been slammed by U.S. sanctions. Southeast Asia is one of the last regions where Huawei still has influence. China's National People's Congress kicked off over the weekend with Premier Li Keqiang announcing an economic growth target of around 5% for this year. That's the lowest growth target in more than three decades. The FT's China economics reporter Sun Yu describes the number as cautious. Uh, the market has been expecting uh, 5.5% or even 6%. But in the end, uh, the authority uh, set the target at 5%, which is at the lower end of market forecasts. Plus, the, the so-called special purpose bonds, that quota is around 3.8 trillion. It, re- it does represent an increase, but it's far lower than what the market would expect. Okay, so another area where Beijing is treading carefully. So you you mentioned something called special purpose bonds. Can you remind us what those are? So these days, the central government is restricting the local authorities from issuing their own bonds to raise debt. Instead, they have to uh, use the so-called special purpose bonds uh, to invest in infrastructure projects. And these bonds are basically issued by the local government and guaranteed by the central government and with a specific purpose. Okay, so this is a major source of funding for infrastructure projects and a way for Beijing to control local government spending. Is that right? Exactly. So that's a, that's a very major uh, metric for government-backed investment. Got it. That makes sense. So what can you tell us about China's military spending. Beijing said its defense budget will rise this year to more than 7%. That's that's more than its economic growth target. The big jump in military spending is not really is not that surprising, but still would raise some some kind of a a red flag, I think. Uh, Li Keqiang said explicitly that the Chinese army must struggle with our rivals at home and abroad, prepare for the war, and build a strong army going forward. In the past, Chinese army tend to offer short-term contracts to uh, weapons makers domestically. These days, instead, Chinese armies would offer three to five-year long-term contracts 
they look at longer term when it comes to upgrading Chinese army to get it prepared for a potential war. Sun Yu is the FT's China economics reporter. Israel has been racked by protests for the past two months. They erupted when Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and his right-wing coalition proposed reforms to the country's judicial system. Now, record numbers of Israelis have taken to the streets to voice their opposition, and last week, police fired stun grenades into the crowd. The FT's James Shatter has been covering the protests and joins me now. Hey, James. Hi, hi. James, protests are, they're pretty normal in Israel. How significant are these? Are these protests different? Well, they're definitely significant. I mean, I think uh, at one of the most recent protests throughout the whole country, there are about 300,000 people protesting. These protests have been happening every week now for the last couple of months. And I think the other thing that you know is significant about them is just the, the range of, of people involved. It's not just left-wingers. You know, it's former security chiefs, it's reservists from elite army units, it's former central bank chiefs, senior bankers, and even, you know, executives from Israel's tech sector. What would these proposed judicial reforms do that's so upsetting to so many people in Israel? The thrust of the reforms is to curb the power of, of the judiciary, which people in Netanyahu's coalition believe has, over the years, taken on powers that it was never really formally granted and then used to push a partisan left-wing agenda. And so the, the thrust of the reforms is to weaken the, the high court, Isabel's top court, one, by uh, giving control over the appointment of judges to the government, so the government would control the committee that, that does that, and then secondly, by making it much, much harder uh, for the top court to strike down legislation. Can you spell this out for me, James? How would this hurt the country's democratic system? The, the, the concern about the reforms themselves is that in the Israeli context, this reigning in of the powers of the judiciary would amount to you know, the evisceration of the one well, one of the most important checks on, on government action. So you know, Israel doesn't have a second house of parliament uh, that can review or you know, block legislation. It doesn't have a president with veto powers. And so in that context, the top court is a crucial check on what the government does. And this coalition is seen as the the most right-wing in Israeli history. And I think for secular Israelis, the fear is that this coalition could pass laws that would have a wide-ranging impact on on their lives, both in terms of giving a bigger role to religion in society, which secular Israelis are not particularly keen on. And also, you know, for the Palestinians, this government contains a a lot of ultra-nationalist settlers in key security posts who want to annex the West Bank, who want to expand settlements uh, in the West Bank. And those two things, I think, are the biggest concerns in terms of what the government would be able to do if it was in a position of, of unchecked power. James, how much do these protesters represent Israel's population as a whole? I know Israel has become increasingly conservative over the years. No, I think I mean it's, it's definitely true that Israeli society has become more right-wing. I think there's a, a poll recently by the IDI with the Israel Democracy Institute, which suggested that more than 60% of Israelis identified as right-wing. But similarly, if you look at polling in terms of the popularity of these particular reforms, they're very unpopular. I think you know there are definitely people on the opposite side of the political spectrum to Netanyahu who recognize that there are aspects of the judicial uh, system that could be reformed. Um, 
most people see that these particular reforms are not a sort of serious or, or regard these reforms as not a serious attempt to address those deficiencies, but instead, you know, a power grab and an attempt to, uh, you know, basically put the government in a position where where it's, it's not restrained by the existing checks and balances. James Schotter is the FT's Jerusalem correspondent. Thank you, James. Thanks very much. In the U.S., Republican lawmakers recently passed legislation that would prevent state retirement funds from being forced to consider environmental or social factors when making investment decisions. The FT's Deputy Washington Bureau Chief Lauren Fedor says anti-ESG is a big part of Republican messaging. And I think it's going to continue to be a pretty central part of their message, not only on Capitol Hill, but with an eye to 2024. Some of these Republicans who are running for president have been either have declared running for president or expected to, are already talking about ESG. And they think it's a winning issue because they think that it's a cultural message at the end of the day. They say that corporations are pushing, quote unquote, woke ideology on investors. And that message does appear to be cutting through in in some some spaces. But the anti-ESG legislation may never see the light of day. President Joe Biden plans to veto it, potentially his first presidential veto, and it would mark a new phase in his presidency. The first two years, Democrats controlled both houses of Congress. The bills that were sent to the White House for Joe Biden to sign were, you know, coming from his party. Now we see the Republicans flexing their muscles a bit more, uh, given that they control the House of Representatives. And in some cases in the Senate, they can get a couple of Democrats to, to side with them. So this is the first veto, but it's unlikely to be the last. That's the FT's Deputy Washington Bureau Chief, Lauren Fedor. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back tomorrow for the latest business news. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. From a local business to a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America gives your operation access to exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024.